We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm joined, as always, across the pond by Frances Tomas, as seen on ESPN and Barcelblog.com. You can follow our show notes from today's show, that's tbpod.link backslash 31, just by typing in tbpod.link backslash 31, and that'll take you right to all of the good stuff we have on that website. Frances, what are we talking about today? We are talking about you, Dan, because you're getting married in the morning. No, not the morning, but you're getting married in the weekend. Um, I really appreciate you um, getting some time of your very busy schedule this week to record the podcast. And um, I wish you all the best in your future life. And you're probably going to be trapped forever and ever because I tell you, I I am very, very trapped as well. (laughs) Right. Episode 31. We're going to be focusing on not Dan just Dan, but other things. Messi's latest contract, um, the board obviously still going on with a vote of no confidence. We're going to look at transfer afterthoughts, so things that players have said and different sort of surprising news that have come out of the camp now after the transfer window closed. And then we're going to be focusing at the very end on the Espanol preview, which uh, is the game of the weekend. So the Barcelona podcast 31 starts right here. Yeah, friends, that's not to talk too much about me. The one quick aside I'll make for our listeners is just that first, I'm apologizing. I'm not in my normal recording situation and setup, so you might hear a lot more ambient noise and things going on in the background with what's happening where I am now. Um, but the other thing I'll say is, as far as our show that be coming on Monday, we'll review Espanol and do a f- and preview the Champions League game against Juventus. That won't necessarily be guaranteed to be Monday or Tuesday, but that will come out before the game against Juventus. That's something that Frances and I have been able to schedule and figure out. So nevertheless, life will continue on and the Barcelona podcast will continue on. And today's show, as you mentioned, Frances, starts with Lionel Messi, of course. And everybody listening to this show is clearly aware of the situation with Messi right now. And the more and more I've thought about it and given some credence to it is that there might be a great impending fear that Messi would leave. But I think Messi not doing anything right now, Frances, seems like the best decision. 
The situation is that the messy deal was reportedly finalized back in June, but for some reason or other, it has not yet been made official. We have not seen the photograph. We have not seen him put pen to paper. We know he hasn't put pen to paper, where it seems like everyone else in his life is saying it's a yes, and he hasn't really committed completely to what's happened. But because of all the consternation of the summer, Kool-Aid's are quite afraid of the future of Lionel Messi. Yeah, but I I don't necessarily believe that. You know, that is what Bartomeu decided to say in front of the Catalan media. Um, Obviously, he's been under pressure and the vote of no confidence has gathered up a lot of steam, which obviously was expected given the fact that the fan base is really pessimistic and uh, I would say, and rightly so in a way. But um, Bartomeu used his influence with Mundo Deportivo and Sport and was his happy, very smiley face was splashed over the whole of the front pages in pretty much every newspaper in Catalonia. And uh, he tried to basically um, put a cover over all the mess that has been created of late. And uh, he said, as we analyzed in our previous podcast, several bits that were quite debatable. Um, The one we're going to focus on right now is the one on Messi. Now, if Messi has signed the contract, it's very clear that all he needs to do is get a get a photograph with Bartomeu and shaking hands, then that's not a scheduling problem. And, uh, you know, that's Bartomeu can say whatever he wants. It cannot possibly be. Bartomeu needs Messi, Messi's photograph, so them both shaking hands desperately. And uh, he should, I'm sure he is doing all he can to get that. However, I think it's down to Messi. Messi doesn't necessarily want to be related to Bartomeu at this moment in time. It is clear that obviously Neymar and himself were very good friends and Dani Alves and Messi were very, very close as well. And those two, the two Brazilians that left us have very clearly been against Bartomeu's doings in the last in the last few months uh, to the point that, I don't know um, if our Kules friends saw it, Neymar actually tweeted to a piece of news from Brazil saying this president is a joke and he tweeted that in Brazilian but obviously everyone's able to translate it and um, yeah so it's not the best news for Barca and definitely not the best news for Bartomeu because if Messi says yep I'm supporting Bartomeu by signing the contract then that could have a huge influence in the upcoming club election that is very likely to happen once the vote of no confidence goes forward. Yeah, and, and that's the key, right? That Messi, and that's why I think Kool-Aid can kind of relax and take that breath to know that above all else, Messi is with the club because of what it seems like the club and Kool-Aid and some Sochis and fans, it's very divided on where they're throwing their, their commitment to. And so Messi, being Messi, has such a great responsibility and power to, you know, Bartomeu understands, and I think it's the board that has to be afraid in this situation because if that goes through that there is, you know, enough Sochi sign the vote of no confidence and there is some way an election, then Messi has a choice that if Messi in any way, uh, not even outwardly coming out and saying it, but if his actions or certain things that he does reflect support behind a certain candidate, then that candidate will most certainly win because Messi is, you know, keeping Messi at the club from just a footballing perspective is the most important thing that needs to be happening for the next few years. And Messi playing that kind of pivotal role, I think, is not one that he wants to play. And we saw with his relationship with Argentina, as we'll transition a little bit into his international break in particular and his, you know, tour relationship with Argentina. But that when Messi says, I don't like this, that puts presidents, that puts CEOs and that puts people in positions of power with suits on in a lot of danger because of the backlash they receive. And so for Argentina, 
we're just seeing the way that Messi had retired and then Argentina as a team struggle and now Messi's back and even though that they had that 1-1 draw against Venezuela and didn't necessarily look particularly great in their first game against Uruguay either which also ended in a draw Argentina right now sit in fifth place which is good enough for the playoff so for Messi in terms of his playing career he's got to be a little wary that what happens if he misses the World Cup and so with things not going well at, at club level with things you know, in flux at the international level for Messi. It's just an odd time for a player that, as we know so well, just wants to play football. Definitely. And um, whenever I think of Messi, and I know this is going to be sounding a little romantic, I sort of think back at the 17-year-old that came up when uh, Ronaldinho was there and he was sort of protected by Deco and Eto when he joined the first team, um, obviously pushing for Julie's position in the starting eleven, which... Let's face it; didn't take him that much to impress enough to be to be included in the starting lineup. But I keep thinking about that child, and he was so pure. He just wanted to play football, you know. And um, everything else sort of came second. He definitely enjoyed what he was doing. He was obviously a genius on the ball. He was like a little magician, sort of dribbling around, moving forward, always happy, you know, with his huge, really long locks, um, sort of coming out of a Latino sort of soap opera. And uh, obviously without the beard, looking really sort of fresh-faced. Now, fast forward 15, 16 years, we've got uh, the man that leads the club. Um, as I said before, he's pretty much the, the bricks that sort of hold the Camino together. Um, when he goes to his national team, he's got a huge amount of pressure. Uh, obviously, he retired. Now he's, he's come back trying to sort of um, chase his dream of achieving the World Cup for his, for his uh, national team country but then he comes back to Barcelona uh, after doing his best to be honest and you've got critics in the papers and this is a translation from from the national Ole and diarios from Argentina and it's the best cannot be any cannot be like any other player so he has to stand out basically teammates don't speak his language but regardless he needs to be good enough to push things forward um, criticizing his moves, such as dropping too deep away from the rival area. That's not the Messi we enjoy. And uh, there was something a little bit more positive that said, whatever Messi does, his teammates go on and do it. So this is someone who has pressure when he plays for Barca, but you know, on the pitch, he is the boss in a way, and uh, he's free to move wherever he wants, and uh, he sort of moves everything forward. But when he goes away, he's got even more pressure uh, playing for his national team and then if you add all the politics on top of him obviously that's not something he necessarily wants to be involved with but by not taking action and signing the contract now he indirectly sort of is so Messi is in a completely different position now as he was 15 years ago and we are lucky to have him at Barca and what we have to do is value him and ensuring that he wants to stay for as long as he possibly can and I think that's what's frustrating about all the pressure that Messi gets I mean, not as much from Barcelona, but particularly from Argentina. You just see the difference with Argentina's qualifying campaign without him and then with him. And even with him, where, you know, he had retired right after that, the whole point was that, and the reason he was being asked to come back was because he was tired of the losing, but it wasn't even losing. It's not like Argentina is a team that hasn't seen all of the success, you know, getting to the World Cup final and losing an extra time against Germany and then the two finals in the Copa Americas against Chile for those two consecutive Copa Americas, you know, losing in those finals weighs a lot on the player, but Brazil weren't in those situations. Brazil got 
manhandled by Germany in the same World Cup that Argentina went to the final in. And so to say that Argentina hasn't been a quality national side and to criticize him as they have, would well, it's a different system and it makes sense and he has a different role, but that's because of just the sheer dearth of attacking talent that Argentina has. And that, to me, it's not messy, but that puts just a great deal of pressure on a coach and why Argentina have gone through so many coaches because to get all that attacking juju to fit you know to get the best of Messi and Paulo Dybala and and how Di Maria and Mauro Icardi Gonzalo Higuain is not even in the team Sergio Aguero doesn't even get to start just because of how much talent they have going on there and the last thing I'll say before we move on about Argentina is while they currently sit in fifth place their remaining games are against Peru who sit right in front of them and Ecuador who sit behind them so Brazil is already qualified Uruguay is at 27 points Colombia 26 Peru and Argentina 24 Chile 23 Paraguay 21 and Ecuador still alive with 20 points and so Argentina being in fifth place right now if they take care of business against Peru and Ecuador who they previously lost to they could qualify automatically and even if they finished in fifth that would then put them in an intercontinental playoff against the champion of the Oceania region, which would be New Zealand most likely. And so if Argentina winds up going against New Zealand and doesn't find a way to beat New Zealand, then that's probably a good reason Argentina aren't in the World Cup. Of course, of course, of course. Um, Argentina should be in the World Cup because of the players that they've got. They've got a huge amount of talent. They have to find a way to make it work. And the fact that so many different coaches have been trying to implement a system that in a way fits Messi because he's the best player ever. So you need to make sure that it works around it. It's a lack of consistency. It's lack of sort of thought and not sort of finding a generation. Although, you know, they've called it the La Generación de Oro, the golden generation. They haven't necessarily established themselves and uh, being able to put sort of a good consistent run in any major tournament. You could argue the one they lost against Germany in the final, that was it. But in a way, that was more because of sort of Messi's brilliance at given given points than sort of the togetherness of the whole team, which obvious, obviously was there, but I don't think it was up to the level of, of major sort of World Cup winning teams. But um, I really do hope that Argentina can get through this and somehow find the, the groove before the World Cup starts so that they can have a great run at the World Cup. And as I said in the previous podcast, I really do hope that Messi comes away with a World Cup trophy. Although at this moment, given the fact that obviously Brazil, Germany look very strong, Spain, uh, France wasn't necessarily great this time around, but Spain with um, Isco, Asensio, Busquets, Iniesta, Coque, midfield, that they look very strong, very strong too. So let's just see what happens. But I'm not saying my favorite is Argentina, but I definitely do want them to win. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, isn't that really interesting that you see, particularly on social media, so many Kool-Aids pulling for Argentina because even though they rooted, you know, their team is Barcelona in Spain, they root for Spain, but that magical goal in 2010 with Iniesta, Spain got their World Cup. And now for Messi, the only thing missing is that World Cup in his trophy cabinet. And so, so many Barcelona fans would love to see Argentina win it. And for me, I would say, of course, I'm biased. I would hope the USA win it, but they're a considerable long shot. And, you know, they still have to worry about their own qualifying right now. So the USA, if they're not going to win it, I'd say I'd love to see Argentina get one in their trophy cabinet. And you brought up the next name that we'll talk about, and we'll do this very quickly, with Andres Iniesta. It's not really a big story, but it's enough of a story with Iniesta, who doesn't say much. But apparently when he was coming back from international duty, he's in the airport, and they asked him, did he sign his new contract? And he gave one word, and it was no. And Bartomeu says yes. 
but but Iniesta says no. And so I think this is another case of if those kind of guys, I mean, Messi and Iniesta, no players, yes, PK and and Busquets are just as important and ingrained in the club. But for me, Iniesta, if anything, Frances represents Barcelona even more than Messi does because Iniesta is from Spain. He's a Spanish player. He represents the national team. He represents the Catalonian national team. And he represents Barcelona so much. And so for me, you know, Messi is a player that if he was ever playing somewhere else, you understand it. But at 33 years of, of age, if Iniesta were, never, were not playing in a Barcelona uniform, it just it wouldn't make sense to me. No, no, definitely. I mean, Iniesta was there when my brother was playing for Barca. My brother was actually teammates with him. And uh, I think I've said in podcast probably one or two, episode one or two, um, that um, we actually became really good friends with his family. And obviously, Agia's progress sort of uh, journey sort of come away. But, you know, a fantastic sort of representation of what it means to join La Masia. He was incredibly young at the time and he's come up to sort of be a World Cup winner and, uh, you know, 25 trophies worth uh, legend for Barca. Um, I think the most important thing here is the fact that Iniesta, who never really says anything um, or nothing sort of for a huge length of time, just destroyed Bartomeu with just one word uh, after Bartomeu has published sort of, oh, we're very close to finalizing a deal and we've got an agreement in principle. Then Iniesta comes out and, and after being very pushed by the paparazzi, because they're not journalists, they're just paparazzi. These are people who are waiting for Iniesta outside the airport while he's getting into his car, you know, and they're just throwing like 10 questions at him and Iniesta sort of quietly saying nothing whatsoever. And when he gets in the car, someone says about the renewal and he just goes, nope. And then he shuts the door. So that's how to um, shut a theory down with just one word. Um, I want to also mention about Alenia, something we were saying at the start of the podcast in terms of getting the photograph. Well, Bartomeu managed to get the photograph with Alenia from Barça B, the 19-year-old sort of most promising Barça, Barça B player right now. He's been renewed until 2020. And um, if he gets promoted to the first team, which hopefully he will do in the next three years, then his contract is actually five years. So it will be all the way to 2022. Um, however, I've got a, a little sort of bone to pick here. His release clause has been set to 75 million euros. Just just 75. So Alenia at 24 years old, if he's been playing at Barca for say three, four years, he's definitely going to be a bargain for 75 million euros given the, the transfer sort of money that's been thrown around. But, you know... Um, I don't know if I'm being too picky here. I don't think I am. But regardless, it is great news that um, talent from La Masia, who is very promising, is has now been renewed. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens in the future. But uh, Bartomeu definitely needed and wanted that photograph. And with Alenia, he did get it. Well, I'll even update the timeline. And you know how I feel about throwing youth in at the proper times and making sense of having them on the on the squad. And for Elenia, I would hope that he's a regular first teamer next year. And if he's not, then he absolutely needs to go out on loan uh, as of next year. So as you mentioned, for Elenia, who should be a part of the team moving forward, and that's why he signed the contract, but I don't know how much stock you uh, Soshis or, or different fans of the club are going to put in that photo. Because yes, Bartomeu might have captured a photo with with Elenia, but I think people are, are still very skeptical. And it, it's it's just like the Dembele signing, where it's a good move, but it's a move that you'd have to believe that any board would make because it was the right move to make. And so with Elenia, of course you want to be promoting 
good young academy talent. That's a good way to make get good press. And, you know, you look at the squad as it is right now. This is the oldest team, an average age, since the 1999-2000 season. So that just tells you that Barcelona have always found a way to cultivate talent and have them young and to integrate new players in. And so they've gone so long without doing that that they've got an older squad. And I know experience wins the trophies, and they have experienced players. I mean, Messi, Pique, Busquets, Iniesta. I mean, he, he might not play, but Arda Turan is sitting there on the bench for Melian. Like, these are guys 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, and uh, Luis uh, Suarez as well. And so the, the team is getting older, the club is getting older, and this is an exciting thing because Elenia is going to be a major part of the future, I'm hoping. And, and so we'll transition right into that vote of no confidence that we've kind of been skirting around. And the one piece of news that we just want to mention before we get into the, the, the opinionated part of it is that right now there's a disagreement between the board delegates. That's Josep Cardona, the VP, and Gomez Ponti, which is a legal representative, and Oscar Grau, which is the CEO. They met with Benedito and his team about the date for the window closing for Sochi's to sign the vote of no confidence. Benedetti gets 14 days to get 15% of Sochi's to sign from when he received the ballot papers. And now that was a little bit in consternation as well, but that's been sorted out. Now the issue is whether or not Saturday is a working day. Barcelona believed the date to be September 18th when this all expires because Saturday is a working day. But Benedito says, no, it should be October the 2nd, which, as we remember, October the 1st is a home game against Las Palmas, which is just another game for Benedito to get signatures from Sochi. So there's there's an entire game in the balance on whether or not the club and Benedito agree on this. That also has two listener questions involved with this one. And so I'll ask it all in, in one big fell swoop is that Sohal asked us, why would the Sochis not vote out Bartomeu despite the no-confidence vote? I know it's a lot to throw at you, Frances, but I know you can handle this one. So I think the, the Sochis may not vote Bartomeu out because they're too conservative. Um, as we spoke about in our previous podcast at tvpod.link slash 30, um, it's all about what is good and what is great, you know? Um, People that have been attending the Camp Nou for 50, 60, even some of them 70 years even, um, they have gone through really difficult times. You know, in the 60s and 70s, Barca was at best challenging to win La Liga and uh, coming second to Madrid was always annoying, but it wasn't necessarily as terrible as it is today. Um, people that have gone through sort of Barca not having enough money to make any significant signings, um, that's obviously people who, in a way, are, are stuck in the past or sort of remember the past really vividly. So for if you're 70 or 80 or even 60 years old and you're a soci, you may be thinking that the club is in a sort of relatively comfortable sort of position in terms of money. So the economy of the club is, is okay. This summer, don't forget the, the transfer window actually brought up a benefit for Barca. And uh, if you're a conservative saucy, then that, that could be enough for you. The team, obviously, we still have the best player in the world. Um, and the, the likes of Iniesta, Suarez, obviously Dembele, we're hoping as well, Pique, Busquets. They are world-class players that are in our squad. And there is no reason why we shouldn't be challenging for the three, for the three titles. So, in a way, if you're okay with the club being good, then the club is good. However, the vast majority of youngsters 
have been brought up in the sort of last 20, 25 years, and they know that Barca can do better. Um, in, in let's not forget that Barca beat, won the first uh, Champions League in 1992, and since we've won five. So coming second to Madrid in La Liga and sort of winning the Copa del Rey on the side and getting to the Champions League semifinals, for example, that's not considered a success anymore. That's considered sort of an okay season. But the vast majority of youngsters will be pushing for a great season, will be pushing for the absolute best. Um, obviously, the Pep Guardiola era is still present in everyone's minds and uh, Messi's not getting any younger. So winning the Champions League and La Liga and La Copa, so the treble, el triplete, has to be the reason. So whoever's not voting Bartomeu out is because they're okay to have a club that's good. And, and Messi, again, still pivotal to this in that I think expectations will have to change for everybody who roots for the club after Messi and Iniesta are gone because when Messi is on the team and with Messi, then all winning needs to be done. And it's not that Barcelona won't be a good team again, or but it has to be expected that in the post-Messi years that the club may take a step backwards. And that's simply just due to, to talent that he is and what he has meant for the club and what he has done as a player. And so I think even for the younger generation, that's a great point, is that I, I you wonder if the older generation is ready, is hitting that panic button and saying, I, I you know, where are we going to be? in the post-Messi years. And, you know, it's on the board to figure all that out. And I think that's what makes it such a pivotal time that if if the older generation believes that Barcelona can continue to be as good as they are, then they're, they're going to have to trust the board for the next few years as Messi's 30 years old. And I know we harp on that. We do get a lot of social media stuff about that, how we just seem to be constantly talking about you know, all this doom and gloom in the future. But the point is we want to be excited about all the winning that is possible now and we also want to ensure that winning is done in the future. So I, I think it makes a, t- a lot of sense to have this ever-present when you need a board that's future-oriented. Having just signed Usmane Dembele, he's 20 years old. So you'd hope that that's a player that's with the club for the next, you know, 13, 14 years. And so, you know, you'd want a board in, in place to be able to do those things. Well, we'll go now into topic number two for the day. And that'll just be some quick-fire transfer stuff. And again, we're going to be short and quick with this. Messi's countryman, Paulo Dybala has made a change with his representative. It's now his brother, Mariano Dybala, who also attended an event for the Leo Messi Foundation. And a journalist for the Catalonia Radio has said that Paolo could leave for about $90 million from Juventus. But again, what that is, I'm very skeptical, where, of course, he's Argentinian. His brother knows of Messi and obviously has a relationship with Messi. So why wouldn't all of these players be going to this event, and I don't really put a lot of stock in that. So for Paulo Dybala, that you and I have said many times on the show, we think will eventually be a Barcelona player. I think we can hold the brakes on that, and let's at least wait until next few months, see how things play out with the board, and we'll revisit Dybala in a few in a, in a bit. Yeah, we could do, but um, I just want to throw something in there as well. Um, I worked for Catalonia Radio for uh, three or four years. I was working for Wheel of Barca, which is wheelova.com. A really good website. Um, you may want to check it out. The, we, I say we, I don't work there anymore, but uh, we used to update the English part of the website and they sort of have stopped that a little bit. And But willobasa.cat, C-A-T for Catalonia, is still really sort of going really strong. And uh, I actually trust the, the, the person that said it and because he was part of my team and the sources that we used to get in there, they're actually sort of inside sources. So 
Um, if he has said it, it's because there must be quite a lot of truth behind it because it's not a sort of clickbaity website or sort of just saying things for, for the fun of it. Um, there has to be some truth behind it, but obviously we're never going to find out. Yeah, you really shut me down there. I mean, and so, Frances, I am totally okay with being convinced that this is something that we should put stock in and that, you know, Dybala now, as I said, with basically a year to figure out exactly how Dybala is going to happen, I would hope that through the coming year that whoever's in charge of Barcelona is the current board now or a potential board with a vote of no confidence changing. I would hope that whoever it is can figure out how to be prepared for those negotiations when they are to begin so that Dybala doesn't become a 220 million euro transfer and Juventus tries to overinflate the market price. Which he probably already is, isn't it? Considering that um, Neymar went out for 222, give it another year. We don't know what sort of money we're going to be talking about, but you know, that's life. Yeah, that uh, yeah, is true. And talking about money, our second topic here is there's some criticism going on that after seeing Munir go on loan to Alaves and then Christian Teo, prior to him, went for 4 million euro to Real Batiste. Apparently, they both could have gone to Russia, Munir to Zenit and Teo to Moscow Spartak for a combined 25 million, but neither player wanted to play in Russia. And, you know, from a money perspective and, and a cold hard cash, yeah, you know, you'd hope that Barcelona would have gotten 21 more than they did. For those two players but Munir is still on loan and could potentially be sold for more afterwards and part two would be just as a fan of the club and having enjoyed those those players in their time at Barcelona if a player doesn't want to play in Russia you know having lived in Barcelona most of their lives why would you choose to live in Russia over Barcelona it's it's an odd thing it really is and also it's all about how sort of passionately and how convincingly you can sort of talk these players into it. Um, the offer for Munir was reportedly 20 million euros and we, for Zenit, and we ended up loaning him out to Alaves for technically free, just sort of having his wage paid. So um, in, in my eyes, if the board had been more efficient at convincing players, they could have gotten into it. Like, for example, Tejo to a Spart- Spartak Moscow. The offer was 10 million euros. Um, this is a club that's in the Champions League. So just obviously Betis is not. So just arguing that point and, and sort of saying, if you go over there, there's a chance you get sort of a bonus for returning, whatever, anything you can do. If there's 30 million on the table, the board need to be efficient enough to take it. Um, talking about Inigo Martinez, he says, obviously he was very close to joining Barca this season as well. He said, nobody really spoke to me. Munir came out and said, nobody told me anything until the very last day. I didn't know my destination and um, I'm at Alaves now and I'm happy. So obviously Munir, who really has never really said anything, is also contradicting the board. And uh, just sort of the icing on the cake, you've got Arda Turan saying, I'm going to stay at Barca. I have three more years in my contract. I'm very happy at the club, but the guy's not even playing, you know. So all of these reactions are puzzling. They're quite baffling. They're not sort of something you would expect, but... That's what the people are saying. And, and to me, it all screams a little bit of disorganization. Yeah, I also don't want to throw aside our Russian listeners. As Moscow is a beautiful city. And I think most players that have played in Moscow could say that, the, you know, there's, there's a niche you find whenever you have to move abroad. But as I've said, for players who've lived their whole lives in one country, it can be a daunting task to go thousands of miles away from home and play in a different 
a different spot. Now, Teo played in Portugal, and Teo also played in Italy, but those, again, Western European countries, so not too much of a change in lifestyle. Well, going on to topic three, our last of the day, we're going to break down Espanol pretty quickly. Coming into this one, Espanol, of course, the big Catalonian derby. They've drawn with Sevilla, and they've lost to Leganes. Their two main guys up top are names that, for those who watch La Liga regularly, would recognize with, with Leo Batistao and Gerard Moreno up front. And Moreno also plays for the Catalonian national team at times, so you've seen him play with Iniesta and Pique and the like. And they have some young talent, including 23-year-old Sergi Darder on loan, a left-back in Aaron Caracol, who we haven't seen too much of yet, and another promising midfielder who plays for the youth teams in Spain in Mark Roca. And those, those players both 20. They've added a keeper in Paul Lopez, who returned from Tottenham after a loan. And they've also added in the center of their defense, Naldo, a center back from Brazil, from Russia, coming back from Russia, from Krasnodar. And they've also added from Valencia, someone who, again, the Liga fans would know well, in Pablo Piatti on the wing. Three days later is Juventus. So my thinking here, as looking at a starting 11, Frances, is that we want, we've, we're figuring that Dembele is not going to start, but will definitely make his debut. And we'll see how many minutes exactly he gets, where he obviously hadn't played for Dortmund in preseason or so far in the Bundesliga or La Liga campaign. So he's yet to see football so far this year. So expect him to come on as a sub. But then you also look at some injuries going on where Rakitic banged up in international duty with Croatia. So he's got a knock and may not play for against Espanyol or Juventus. And then you had players from the FIFA break, and we can talk about that in a second, but you have players playing major minutes there. And so with the Champions League game, I don't expect a full starting 11 as strong as it could be. Maybe Valverde might have his hand forced a little bit due to injuries. Yes, I, I agree. I, I think that the team that's going to face Espanyol at home at the Camp Nou is going to be a rotational one. It, it has to be. Messi played 180 minutes for Argentina, and obviously he traveled to Argentina and back, so you can add all the hours of flying in there. Uh, full matches, so both full matches, that's 180 minutes for Umtiti, Ter Stegen, Piqué, Busquets, and Paulinho as well. Um, obviously, Luis Suarez, 173, but... You know, that's what happened. He left Barcelona and he was injured and he's not fooling, feeling 100% right now. Um, Iniesta playing 162 minutes. So all of those sort of bits and pieces sort of add up and there's definitely going to be a non-usual rotational starting eleven, which to be fair, is going to give players such as Dennis. Um, I'm assuming that Dembele will come up in, in the second half around the 60th minute. So if that happens, De Lufeu should be the starter in there. Um Hopefully Paco Alcácer can make an appearance and make sort of finally have a proper sort of game in terms of impact and confidence. Um, so let's just see let's just see what happens. But the big game in the week ahead is definitely the Juve game um, on the Tuesday, and uh, we'll see we'll see how prepared the team is uh, in the next eighteen days. Let's not forget that Barca has six different matches: so Espanyol at home, Juventus at home in the Champions League, Getafe away. Eibar at home, Girona away, and I can't wait for the Catalan. It's not a derby, but it's a Catalan celebration going to Girona. Really excited about that one. And then ended up the month in um, playing Sporting from Portugal away in the Champions League. So really busy sort of 18 days ahead and uh, coming back from the FIFA break, FIFA virus sort of 
just affecting Rakitic in terms of injuries and obviously Suarez. Um, it's going to be a rotation on 11, but um, let's just see what happens moving forward. But um, I w- fully expect um, Barca to be able to beat Espanyol. I mean, last year it was a 7-1 combined when you had the results home and away. Uh, they're currently 13th. Uh, obviously, they're a difficult team to score against. And, you know, given the rivalry, they're definitely going to come. And uh, let's just say... Let's prepare the ice packs uh, for for the Barca players because they certainly are very aggressive and they seem to sort of step up in terms of ag- aggressivity and comp- competitiveness uh, against us because of what the supporters expect of them. But regardless, I think Barca should win the game. I'm not going to say easily, but a good sort of 2-0, 3-0 victory um, is not impossible at all. The game against Espanyol always seems to be the easiest to predict every year because... Barcelona have not lost to Espanyol in La Liga since 2009. You know, it, it's been eight years since they last lost to Espanyol, but in the same respect, Frances, exactly what you're saying, that you know that that derby is going to be a ton of fouling, it's going to be physical, and it's not going to be easy. So it's more that Barcelona is supposed, obviously heavily favored to win the match, as they've done for the last close to a decade, but it's how long are they going to wait to get that goal in and how long are they going to have that match in the balance? And Espanyol don't have a Champions League match to worry about a few days later. As you said, not only is it you know a lower opponent than Juventus, but I expect to see you know Digne and you know Denis Suarez wouldn't be too surprised if he got a start. So exactly like you said, Andre Gomez probably should start this game. He only played 17 minutes total over the international break, so... I think this is a perfect opportunity where because he wasn't sold on for Andre Gomez to get a start and he's a bigger body as well in the midfield. Andre Gomez being the tallest of the midfield bunch, you'd expect that he would be the most well-equipped to deal with some of the physicality that Espanyol is certainly going to bring with some of those older, more veteran crunching midfielders that they have. Yeah, um, also I want to throw even sort of shade to the to the preview here, um, the rivalry, right? Um, Espanyol and Barca, obviously both teams from Barcelona capital, their rivalry going on pretty much 100 years now. And um, when Barca was being formed, Espanyol was being formed as well. So from the early days, it was sort of the local derby and um, there's a lot of rivalry going on. But, and I really do want to say this, Espanyol dislike Barca much more than Barca dislike Espanyol. And uh, there's no love lost between them, obviously. But um, if you say to Barca, what's the the derby? They say, the derby is a classic against Madrid. You know, if you talk to an Espanol supporter and you say, what's the derby? They say, it's the one against Barca. So for Espanol, it's the game of the year. And uh, that's why they step up their sort of aggressivity that to that level. To Barca, it's just a game to be wary. Make sure you can actually walk once the 90 minutes are finished. Uh, you don't have any broken bones or sort of your knee out of place. And uh, normally, it seems to be quite a uh, quite a safe three points in our in our pocket. But the rivalry from Espanol to Barca is definitely more aggressive because Barca. It's not that we don't care about them. I mean, we we don't necessarily want them winning, but that. You know, it's far more important for them than it is for us. Our rivalry is with Madrid and Espanyol. They never really beat us that much. So it's just something that they create for themselves. And um, yeah, they normally get disappointed. So hopefully they'll get disappointed again. So we'll see exactly how that plays out. And now, Frances, we have time for just one more listener question. And this one's going to be all you. Charlie asks us, are the Boshu's noise still banned from the camp? No. 
and have their members been allowed to join other Peñas? And so for a lot of our listeners that might be all over the world, Frances, could you just give a little bit of background to this first for explanation and then, of course, answer the question? Yeah, uh, Bosch is nice. They're a sort of radical group that has traditionally followed Barca around wherever they've gone. Um, at the Camp Nou, they were normally behind the, how can I explain it? The goal that heads over to where all the sort of coaches park. I know that's not very clear. I think it's goal north um, for, for everyone to understand. And uh, when Laporta came in, um, they sort of had a little bit, this is not official, but the rumor has it that they had some sort of funding to go traveling with them and uh, support the team. Uh, once Rossell started, they were banned from the Camp Nou um, and they, because, you know, they were way too aggressive. But to be honest, I've been going to the Camp Nou for nearly 30 years now. And uh, they, the Camp Nou, the moment the Bolshevist noise stopped coming, became much more quiet. Um, as for James's sort of question, not James's, sorry, Charlie's question, it's all about um, can they join other Peñas? Yes, they can. They can join other fan clubs, um, but obviously they not necessarily show the, the posters and the sort of memorabilia, if you want to call it that, merchandise when they come into the club because in a way if they do that, uh, the club employees are under strict orders of removing them from the stadium. So um, are they allowed back? No, they're not allowed back. But um, obviously, they are sort of still going to the matches, just not demonstrating their ideals and their identity sort of that clearly. But Bochus Noise, uh, they're still going. They're just not seen at the matches because they are, they have to forcefully and because of the band that they've got on them, um, having to hide away. Yeah, I think you answered that question to its fullest. And the only thing I would like to add just with that is it's, it's tough when there are fan groups that are impassioned and sometimes that line between passion and safety and and a you know potential violence can be a very blurry line when it comes to sporting events and so for me it's unfortunate but any group that you know and you hear this a lot with um in Italy when they have you know more of those radical groups whether or it's even in Germany with St Pauli where it's they have a much more political agenda where Sometimes violence can be a part of things, and it's unfortunate part of the game. It's an unfortunate part of these big events. But in the world that we currently live in, it's an unfortunate thing. But there has to be some kind of self-control employed just for the safety and the peace of mind of others, and particularly for Barcelona, which is truly a mecca of football, so that people who come all around the world to watch their maybe their one game they'll only ever see in their life I don't want that game to be delayed or ruined because of fan violence or anything else, what you know, what have you. It also has to do with the ongoing Laporta-Rosel disagreement. Um, Laporta sort of gave them some support and as soon as Rosel started, that's something he wanted to stop. But, you know, it's, it sounds quite childish, but that's where club politics are right now. The club is divided and has been for a number of years. I just hope that things can move forward and we can finally all work in the same direction. Well, we've got to get this show moving forward, and that means right to its end, Frances, as we wrap up tbpod.link backslash 31, where you can find all of our different links. You can. It'd be nice if you gave us an iTunes review. Again, we want to thank all of our patrons for helping us out and helping continue to make new shows and help this Barcelona podcast community grow. And we ask you more importantly than anything else this week, keep throwing us your questions. Keep asking good questions that we got, particularly today from Sohal and Charlie. 
really good questions that aren't necessarily just about transfers and all the hoobla that goes around rumors, but good questions that matter to the club and some of those deeper getting under the hood of what Barcelona is and all the little things that go with that. So as I said, that'll wrap up today's show. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Barcelona podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.